Welcome to the Dollar Sprout Podcast, where it's all about building a business that offers consistent income and flexibility so you can live life on your terms. And now, your host, Megan Robinson. Welcome back to the Dollar Sprout Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Today's guests are two. We actually have two guests today. Um, Rob and Melissa Stevenson of Flea Market Flippers. They have a business uh, reselling. So you've probably heard of flipping. Maybe you've seen videos of people buying tables and furniture at estate sales and then turning around and sanding them and painting them and then selling them for more. So it's kind of the same. I mean, it's the same concept for a business, but Rob and Melissa actually focus on um, particularly items that nobody else really wants to deal with um, because they're too big to ship for a lot of people. So they often do flips on things like commercial appliances and things where they have to figure out freight shipping. And it's allowed them to do some really impressive flips um, that you'll hear more about. But one, for example, that I thought was really crazy was um, a bus wash. If you don't know what this is, then I didn't either. So you'll hear Rob, I think, describe it on the show. But this was an item that they paid $500 for, and they turned around and sold it for $14,500, which is just crazy. So definitely a different kind of flipping business than maybe what you have seen or heard of in the past. And Rob has been doing this for 25 years since he was about 16 years old. So there was just so much wisdom in here to share. There was so much that they were sharing in tips that I was just writing them all down. And then you'll hear me towards the end of the episode, I kind of read out all of the different tips that they gave throughout the show because there was just so much and some of it blew my mind. Um, But they share things like specific formulas that you can use for how to know if an item is going to be profitable or not and how much you should pay for that item, Um, how they won two out of the three refund requests that they received in the last year, and tips for how you can avoid refund requests from your own customers if you decide to pick this up as a side hustle or business. Yeah. And then again, just all of those crazy stories that are so fun. Um, And it's so fun to hear Rob and Melissa talk about these um, because you can tell how passionate they are and how excited that they get about finding good deals. So it's a really fun episode. I hope you enjoy it. Please welcome Rob and Melissa Stevenson. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us. We're so excited to be here. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, So will you tell the audience in your own words what it is that you guys do in your business? Um, I know you guys have different sides of your business. So um, can you just tell people what you do and what products and services you offer? Yeah, absolutely. So we buy and sell used items. We take it from a local market, uh, which um, in our local market, we'll buy stuff. And then we actually, um, and to give you an example, it's like uh, commercial restaurant equipment. So we've gravitated equipment. more towards now because yeah. it makes more money, but yeah. any Anything that we can make money on, we'll buy. But from the local market, we buy stuff and then we actually throw it onto eBay. Uh, 90% of our sales, we throw onto eBay and we sell it. And then uh, we also have a coaching program that we teach other people how to do exactly what we do. Very cool. So you guys really found your niche in the uh, in the flipping space. 
Yep. We do a lot of larger items. So the stuff that people won't ship. So that's kind of where we've honed in because most people won't ship appliances or exercise equipment and we will. So we'll ship pretty much anything. So. Yeah. And how long have you guys been doing this? You guys have been in business for quite a while now, right? He's been doing this since you're 20, 16. Yeah. Almost 25 years now. Yeah. So I've been flipping in, yeah, in some facet for like over 25 years. Um, but as honing into really a larger, higher profit items um, and um, coaching, yeah, for the That's last like seven six, years. Yeah, And that was more when we jumped in full time, you yeah. honed into that a little bit more. So, huh? Very cool. 25 years. So you have a lot of a lot of good wisdom to share with us for for new people who maybe want to get started with this as a side hustle today. Um, that's awesome. Well, I definitely want to hear about you know your all's background and like how you got started when you were sixteen years old. Um, but before we get into that, um, do you guys mind sharing a little bit about the behind the scenes of your business? Um, what does it look like these days after being in business for that many years? Um, what's your business revenue and profitability? Yeah. So we, like we, our time is split really between obviously flipping and then the coaching part. So we have two parts of the business um, and we do it full time, both, both of them, but they, they feed into each other. So we're still, he'll never stop flipping no matter how much teaching we do. Like he just loves finding stuff. So (laughs) loves finding the deals and, and making, and it's fun to still be relevant, obviously, in what we're teaching. What we teach, yeah. Um, But like we start every day basically with a run, listening to a podcast, and then we start our day that way almost every day um and uh and either do one part you're working on the flipping part and i'm I'm working on the back end of the other part um making videos and stuff and last year for our flipping business we were we sold 58 items for uh eighty thousand dollars and then um profit was like sixty five thousand. so our biggest thing for uh, flipping is finding the items at the right price. So, and then being able to sell them. We, our goal is 10 X on our items. So and higher profit items. And higher, so we only had 58 transactions, which most resellers are doing thousands of transactions to get that, to get that. So um, our goal is to have less transactions so that we can, you know, clean less, take pictures, less list, less, spend more time, spend with more family. time with our family. And yeah. we also have the other part of the business too. So, and this is the flipping portion of our business probably takes up, I would say five to 10 hours. If that five to 10 hours a week is all we're spending on the flipping portion of what we do. Um, we have a lot more time into the coaching, into uh, social media, into, um, the, yeah, like the coaching portion of the business takes a lot more of our time. Very cool. So how much, okay. So you, how many streams of revenue do you guys have in your business? I know you mentioned you have the flipping side of your business and you have coaching. Do you also like have affiliate revenue or anything like that? We do a little bit, like we've worked a little bit with affiliates. There's a couple of people that we promoted, like we don't sell on Amazon. So we've, you have a couple of friends that sell on Amazon or uh, little things we haven't done as well in affiliate marketing as we probably could have. (laughs) So um, that hasn't been a big revenue stream. Um, And even uh, have, we started doing more ads on our website and, and then we cut those off. So that's not even a stream anymore. It's mostly our own products that we, um, that we sell. And then we have affiliates like that promote us too. Um, but it's mostly our main business is our own products. So yeah. And eBay sales, what we're well, selling is flips. Sales, yeah. yeah. Very cool. Okay. So, so Rob, you mentioned that you've been doing this since you were 16 years old. I have to know what gets a 16 year old into flipping stuff on eBay or online. How did that happen? 
Yeah, definitely. So I come from a bigger family. I have six older sisters. I'm the youngest and only boy. Um, as a kid, my parents would take us to yard sales um, to find cool stuff, but also to be able to provide for a big family. That's how uh, I grew up. So uh, going to yard sales, my parents also had a side hustle. They would buy stuff from yard sales as it, when I was a kid. Uh, they would bring it back. This is before smartphones, before eBay, even any of that stuff. They would buy stuff in the yard sales in the local arena, um, and they would where it reached a smaller amount of people. So many people at a yard sale, one yard sale in a weekend, you might have reached like 300 people. Um, they would buy it from a yard sale. They'd bring it back, and they'd list it in the local classified section, which had the potential of reaching twenty to 30,000 people. Um, so I got it modeled at a young age. My parents did this, and this wasn't like their full-time gig. This is just something Extra that money, exactly, <laughs> exactly that they had a they enjoyed it, so they did it as a side hustle, and uh, I got modeled that from a young age. And then uh, when I was sixteen, talked to my mom, and she kind of helped, you know, uh, helped me into the business and helped me start doing some stuff uh, when I was sixteen years old. I know one thing that like uh, one thing that you got started. You wanted to buy that car. Yep, that was a what was it? A Ford Mustang. And he totaled up like he you were a, working part time at um, Red, Red Lobster. Lobster, and he was like, okay, I have to work so many hours if I want to buy this car. Like, what were you making? How much an hour? Like nothing. <laughs> no, I think it was like two hundred fifty dollars every two weeks is what I was making as and a so, host at Red Lobster. And then he found the first thing that he really flipped was a Nordic Track ski machine and bought it for five dollars and sold it for three hundred. 350. 350. Did you say that? Sorry. No. Okay. Yeah. 350. And um, then he's like, okay, well, that's a lot. I can do sell this one item versus working how many hours at Red Lobster. And so that was kind of like his journey into it, I think, Absolutely. is how you got started. So, yeah. Well, there's no more motivation than, you know, wanting to buy a nice car <laughs> or like having, you know, something you really want to buy, especially if you're a car guy. Um, very cool. So, so, you got into it when you were 16. And then how did this kind of become both of your all's thing? Melissa, at what point did you start getting into the flipping business? Is that something you were doing before you guys met? Uh, no, I had no idea what uh, like I knew about eBay, but I had no idea like you could actually make money on eBay. Like I had no idea. Um, so he kind of, you know, showed me what he was doing and I still didn't really know what he did uh, to make some extra money. But at um, we were about to have our third kid and I was a personal trainer and I was like, this is crazy. Like three kids under three, I have to stop and just be home with the kids. So we kind of made that decision. And then right after we made that decision, I was eight months pregnant and his job said, sorry, like we're cutting health benefits. And it was supposed to cut like April 1st and, or March 31st. And I was due April 1st. And I was like, well, that's not good. So, so we had to kind of make a decision are we going to jump into this full time? And then I can help him do stuff like more of the listings. I can do work on the back end of it. And if we both jump in and both add some more hours, what can we do? So that was kind of how I really got pushed into it. And, uh, and yeah, so then we dove in with both feet and cause we knew what were we making then we made 42,000 part-time part-time. Um, the first year we actually first, kept track of it. Yeah. Well that was, and that was part-time. And so that when we finally went in, with both feet full time, we were able to get to 130,000. So, um, and it was a hundred thousand dollars profit. So I was like, that was a, was with like, three kids under with, three, <laughs> yeah, with three kids. So it was like, okay, we can do this. So the coaching part of the business wasn't really, um, that big then. So that was kind of around the same time that we had started that too. So, um, it was really cool to be able to see that and be like, okay, well, we're doing this part time. What can we do if we do it full time and we're both doing it and along with taking care of our, our family, but yeah. 
Wow. So you said 130,000 the first year you guys went like both full time into it. Was that more that you guys, more than you guys were making at your jobs before? What were you, what were you doing before you like really went into the business? Yes, it was definitely more because yeah. um, I had already gone back part time um, from personal training and you really were only at your job for the health benefits. You still were, you weren't making very no. much. You were making more flipping. Yeah. Um, anyway, we just had it for the health benefits for the most part. And I worked for a report company. Uh, we did home homeowners uh, insurance. Ins- insurance. Yeah. Inspections, right? Yeah. So that's what I did as my full time and she was a personal trainer. But yeah, this was definitely making more um, doing this and we're on our own hours, being able to work together and working at our own pace and our own hours to make the money that we did the first year. So it sounds like the motivation were you, for you guys was largely like wanting to have more time freedom, wanting to like have more time with three kids under three and be able to like be present as parents. And is that accurate? Yeah, we had, whenever um, before we had decided to jump in full time, we could both really we had our own schedules. So like we would just uh, uh, make them opposite. Like I would work these days, he would work these days, so we could be home with the kids because we really it was important to us not to do daycare, and that's not for everybody. But we really wanted to just be home with the kids and and take care of them. So um, so we alternated. But then when we could both be home and work on it together, I mean they were just in the mix of everything. Yeah. So they, they've been going to the flea market and, and yard sales with us since they were babies. So very cool. Awesome. And now you said you work on the flipping side of the business five to 10 hours a week. And like in total, how much time do you guys put into the business right now? We really should calculate how yeah. many hours that we do. We do a lot of hours on the, co- the coaching side well, of it. Because we do a podcast three mm-hmm. times a week. Yeah. We do like the videos we do. We have a small team that's helping us, but um, we hosted three summits this year. So like it's, it, there's a lot, I guess, behind the scenes. So I really should calculate the hours. So the flipping side, we try to stay at five to 10 hours a week and bring in roughly our goal is around around a hundred thousand dollars a year for the flipping aspect of it. And this isn't hundreds or thousands of items. We're trying to stay under, you know, a hundred items a year selling at roughly, um, 75 to hundred items a year to be at that price at that, uh, that income. Yeah. That's amazing. That's definitely the most impressive part. I think about your all's flipping business, because like I see people all the time talking about flipping items online and they're making a profit of like hundred bucks or like 150 bucks. And that's like a big profit But you guys, like you make a lot of profit on the items that you, on the individual items that you guys flip, which I'm really interested to hear more about. Um, how did you get into this niche of, you said used restaurant equipment? Well, that's one of that's the, that's one of the things that we did. Like I just shipped out something yesterday that we bought for $400 and we sold it for $10,000. Um, I just shipped it out yesterday. That was one of our flips and it was, it was a commercial oven is what it was a countertop commercial oven called a turbo chef. Um, but like one that goes in like subway or something, yeah, that, yeah Starbucks, up your, exactly. <laughs> so, but way before that, when we actually jumped into this full time, we both quit our jobs. We were in it full time. We had the kids, um, we, we were flipping and I had flipped, like I said, many, many years prior to that, but I've never done a larger item flips. Um, I bought something from a local auction, uh, table mm-hmm. and chairs, okay. Um, and a buffet. It was huge. So it was like eight or 10 chairs, a beautiful uh, real wood table buffet with it. Um, I bought it at a local auction for $350. And I tried to sell it locally because that's how we had always anything that we had bought big, we sold it locally. And I was trying to get $700 for the table or $750. And I had it listed for like two months and I could not get the thing sold. So I jumped onto eBay and I started looking on eBay and saw 
all the comparable tables, the only ones that were selling were the ones that people were offering shipping um, or companies that were offering shipping. And that was kind of my aha moment of, okay, okay, wait a minute. And they were getting way, way more money than $700 for sets like this. So I was like, okay, I'm going to list this. If I can get it sold, I will figure out the shipping portion of it. And that was our first big freight shipment that we did. Um, we sold it for $2,200, not even $700. We sold it for $2,200 and then an, another $500 for the shipping portion of it. So, um, And we did that in less than 30 days. And that was when we were like, okay, there's something to these larger items and being able to ship the larger items because the profit is here. What it like? What is the barrier to entry there for people who are going from flipping like tables that they find on Facebook Marketplace and they like you know paint and fix up a little bit? What what's the barrier to entry to like going into that niche or like you know shipping those larger items? Is it a, a lot of logistics or what all did you guys have to figure out to make that happen? The, yeah. Well, the major thing was shipping. We had to figure out how to ship large items. I mean, how we're to, selling it on eBay. So eBay, the transaction itself is not hard. Like eBay is pretty, you know, you list it and um, and more people more people can see it than they can yeah. in the local market. So um, we're not selling it on our own site. We're selling it on eBay. Um, but then that's, the shipping is where like the freight shipping. Um, that's and, one of the big things is eBay. Like we, I talked about how my mom would buy stuff from yard sales that had a potential of reaching a yard sale on a weekend in my area, maybe three 300 people, she'd buy something from that yard sale and then she'd put it on the classified section, which had a potential of whatever the town is for that classified 20, 30, 40,000 people. So she could ask more money for the item and she could get it sold quicker that way. So we do the same thing now. We buy on Facebook Marketplace, offer up Craigslist, we'll find stuff locally. We'll bring it back, we'll take pictures, and then we throw it onto eBay, which has like, I think last time I looked, 152 million registered users, which are just taking it from a smaller market, putting it onto a lot, lot larger market that has a bigger um, pool of people looking for that specific item. So that's how we're able to make the profits that we make on our items. And the item has to be worth a certain, like yeah. there is a, um, like it has to be really worth at least, I would say $500 on the low low end would yeah. you say to ship, to, to, if ship for somebody because you have to think of the customer um who because it's going to cost us around 100 to 300 dollars to ship something on the, for the most part unless it's like a super huge pallet um so we have to know like is the customer willing to pay um let's say 600 dollars, and we know we're going to pay 150 in shipping is that profit still there so we have to always take that into an account because sometimes it's not there and so it's not worth shipping yeah. um so the profit has to be there to do it so do you have any like unique tools that you guys have created or how, how do you figure out um, like if that profit is there on those larger items? I think it's just knowing the, uh, your time and buy, like, what would you say? The, well, the, you don't really have to know a lot. The biggest thing is finding out what that item retails for. Yeah, so our true. formula for anything that we're buying, uh, I'll take that example of the thing I just shipped out yesterday, that turbo shift. I paid $400 for that. We actually bought two of them. So I paid $800 for two of them. I checked the retail on that before I bought it. So I jumped on my phone, I, I Googled it, and I saw retail on that item was $23,000. So if somebody was going to buy the same exact item that I got for $400, if they were going to go and buy it from a store, they were going to spend $23,000. Now, our formula is anything that we're getting, we can sell roughly for 50%, maybe even a little bit more depending on condition. Um, we can sell it for uh, 50% of what retail is. So that's kind of the formula that we work by. And we've been really, really accurate for years and years of, okay, if this thing is 
$10,000, I should be able to get roughly $5,000 for it on the resale market. Um, that's kind of the formula that we uh, we adhere to when we're looking for those items. Like Melissa kind of talked about, the item has to be worth a lot more um, than what you're selling it for, for it to um, make sense for somebody to be able to, to put the extra money into shipping uh, shipping costs of free. And then our goal for finding the item is uh, is ten x less <laughs> so if we're yeah. selling something for a thousand dollars like we're looking to spend about a hundred so it's kind of where our, we're, goal. our goal and that leaves us enough room for shipping and our profit so because we usually do free shipping we just build it into our price yeah so. so we are picky about what we actually source we we don't want to and our goal is selling less items with higher profits um that's really our goal is to be able to work less in the business um and more have more yeah. time with our family we don't want to so. spend a hundred dollars on something to make two hundred dollars exactly. it's just it's not worth after all the work and and fees and stuff that, that's just not worth it yeah. so gotcha so two things that i have heard you say is um find something if you're going to do this find something on a smaller market list it on a much bigger market, first of all. And second, you look to get uh, 50%, roughly 50% of the retail value out of these larger items that you're selling. Do you have any other like rules of thumb that you guys play by in the flipping part of your business? Um, I think it is just being a little bit, we're more picky now of what we buy. I mean, we were on a buying freeze because we have so much to list, <laughs> but, yeah, but you can't pass up a good deal. <laughs> no, I'm really good at finding deals. And sometimes a deal might need something. Like I might find something that is like, I'll give you another example. <laughs> Just last week or the week before I found another turbo chef. So when my one turbo chef sold, uh, my buddy sent me a, uh, a picture that he, I mean, a, a listing that he found on marketplace of another turbo chef. And the guy was asking $300 for it, but he said when he put power to it, it didn't come on. So I, that's the kind of deals that I want. And this one is bigger than mine and it's worth probably twenty-five dollars to $30,000 as retail on this other turbo chef. So I messaged the guy and I asked him if he would take $150 and he said 200 and I said, well, let me think about it. And he goes, okay, come pick it up. I'll take $150. So I'm getting this twenty-five dollars to $30,000 oven for $150. But it doesn't and power on. That's a <laughs> no-brainer to me, but you're right. It doesn't power on. But, but you know, you can even sell it for parts. Exactly. The parts on these ovens are super, super expensive. Some of the parts are two, three, four thousand $4,000 a piece. So I knew I had something there that I would not lose $150 and I typically would make more money. Well, I got it and I have a little bit of knowledge from doing this for years and years. And YouTube. And YouTube and looking <laughs> you stuff can up, look on up YouTube. anything on YouTube, how yeah. to fix anything. Exactly. So I knew that if it didn't have any power at all, there's fuses in there. So the first thing I did is pop open the top, look at the fuses. The fuses were blown. I went and got two new fuses, put it in it, and uh, that fixed the oven perfectly fine. So I had $30 in fuses because they're special fuses, $150 into the item, and then I have it listed for another $10,000. So roughly under $200 into an item that's going to sell for nine or $10,000. That's just being picky at what we're trying to buy. Um, and we just want to be really, really picky looking for those deals. Yeah, you're obviously very good at finding deals. You guys know a lot about this, having done it for years and years now. How long did it take you to get to this point, though? How long did it did it take you to get good at finding deals? I mean, you've done it for so long. Yeah. But I, I think like one thing that we tell people that when they're starting and they want to find like looking and training their eyes is look for stuff that 
um, you enjoy. So like you now we gravitate a lot towards these items because they know they make us so much money. But um, like starting out with stuff that you really enjoy doing because you already know what things are worth. Or like, you know a lot about the yeah. item. So one or the other. If you enjoy it, it's a or hobby. you know, like or, you collect something. Yes. Um, and, and you know it, like you can spot it and it's just quick. So that's the easiest um, way to get into this is and it, it's a lot less learning if you already know a really good item um, that you're working with on a day-to-day basis in your full-time job or something that you have a hobby and you're working with because you absolutely love it, you're passionate about it. Um, those are the best um, best things to And then you can learn with. new niches exactly. at a time and then you can spot them. So it just makes it a little easier than trying to look for everything because then it's overwhelming. You're like, oh, well, this could be worth something. Now I got to look all this stuff up. But if you kind of pick and like you're more picky in the beginning and then you expand your knowledge, then um, that helps. Yeah. So when you're starting out, look for stuff that you enjoy and or that you know a lot about. Like Pokemon cards. <laughs> That's the one that I want to get my kids into. Pokemon cards. <laughs> Our kids love Pokemon cards. And so we're trying to teach them like how to find, the, like look for the ones that are worth. So our daughter finally is starting to be like, oh, this one is an older card. So it could be worth more. So yeah. Um, so yeah, it's fun. Nice. Keeping it, keeping it going throughout the family, throughout the generations. I love it. Yeah, that's uh, that's something that Ben Ben Huber from Dollar Sprout yeah. uh, a couple years ago started flipping Pokemon cards, and I think he's pretty good at it. So there's yeah. room there. A little, yeah. a little while ago, and was showing what he was doing. I'm like, that's crazy! Like so much, so much on yeah. Pokemon cards. That's awesome. <laughs> I know it is crazy. So I mean, you guys have been in a, in business for a long time, so everybody in business, you know, makes mistakes or like does deals or comes up with things they think are going to be great and aren't so great. Have you ever had something that you found that you thought was going to be a really good deal and ended up being a really bad deal? Um, the one bowling game, that one comes to mind. (laughs) One within the last probably two or three years we bought was a bowling arcade game. Because you like those games. I love, <laughs> I'm a, a kid at heart. So I'm always into arcades. I'm always into fun, fun stuff. Um, so yeah, we actually bought one of these. The cool thing is we redeemed ourselves, but this was a bad buy. Um, we had to drive up to, it was like two or three states north of us. Yeah. Um, we found something on one of our road trips. I didn't have the room for it. So we had to come back home, get my trailer um, and go back up and pick up the item that I wanted, uh, which was a bus wash. Um, but I wanted to make the most out of the trip. And I found two other items up there in the same area. And the arcade that I bought was a bowling arcade from, I think, the 70s, something like that. Um, and I thought I could get roughly $2,500 for it. Um, the guy said it wasn't working or it needed right. a couple little things. So when I got there, it was in a lot rougher condition than I had assumed it was. And that's when we should have walked away. I should have walked away from it. Because you're not obligated to buy no. it, but you and didn't walk away. <laughs> I didn't. We bought it and we trucked it back to Florida. Um, I got some pictures of it. I didn't spend too, too much time with it. But I think we barely broke even yeah. on the and money it, that I spent to it. And you have time into it. Too, exactly. So. The money that I spent on it. I don't remember what I paid for. Maybe 150 bucks. Yeah. I think $150, but then after I sold it, shipped it, eBay fees that I paid for it and shipping for 400, yeah, four or $500. It was, I like, it was break, break, barely breaking even broke so. even. And I, yeah, I messed that one up big, but the cool <laughs> thing is the bus wash and the oven that we bought on that dude, we killed it on those. So it made up for my really screw up that I did on my, fu- the only fun thing that I bought, I, I screwed up on, but the other two, we really, really killed it. We made ridiculous profits on those other two things. So it wasn't a total wash. Was there a lesson learned from that one? Walk away when you know you should yeah, walk away. Don't do it. <laughs> walk exactly. Away. Don't 
Don't get too attached. Yeah. I trust me. <laughs> I, I preach this. this all the time. If the deal's not there, walk away from it. And in the heat of the moment, I couldn't do it. We're yeah. And if it if, wasn't an arcade game, I think you could have done absolutely. it. But it was just the funness yeah. of I agree. wanting to. I don't know. Have that, I guess. Yeah. So don't be afraid to walk away. There you go. That's the best lesson. <laughs> if the deal's yeah, yeah. not there, if it's not in good shape, walk away. <laughs> I think that's also true. Yeah, just in like any kind of business. I think we can get emotionally attached to the things that we like or the things that we create. Yeah. So I think that's just general good business advice. (laughs) Don't be too emotionally attached. Make sure the numbers are there. Make sure it's something people are going to buy. Checks out. Um, Do you have any stories of when you did walk away from a deal? (laughs) Sometimes I walk away um, because I know it's going to be more work and the seller will bring down the price to where it's almost a no brainer for me to buy. I'm trying to think of something that I did that on recently. Yeah. A lot of times they'll want the sale so bad that they're bringing it down to a ridiculous price. Kind of like the oven. I told you I got, he wanted 300. I offered him 200 and then he's like $150. I offered him 150 and he said 200. I was going to walk away at 200 because I didn't want to put the extra $50 into it. Um, And he came back and said, okay, 150, I'll do it. And, um, but that was, I mean, that was a really, really good deal. I'm trying to think of something that we've walked away from that you regretted. Yeah. Not that, that I regretted or that yeah. I should have walked away from because no, the money was regretted. Not that you regretted. Oh, walking. I do that all the time. <laughs> I've done that at the flea market. Like I'll walk through the flea market and I'll see something that I want and I'll walk away from it. And then on the way back, driving back to my house after the flea market, oh God, I forgot to get it. Sometimes I'll turn the car around and go back to the flea market because I'm like, shoot, I really should have bought that. And I go back and I buy it. I'm trying to think of a specific item I've done it for. The bats. I did it with the bats for Brody. Oh, yeah, that's right. A, a whole bunch of brand new uh, T-ball bats. Our son got into T-ball and uh, we I, needed I, a bat. I told him to go look for a bat at the flea market for our son. And he comes back with. 35 bats. Well, no, I came back with two bats. And then, you- and I was like, the guy had 30 or 40 of these bats. I probably should go back and buy them. <laughs> and I talked myself into going back to the flea market and then buying the rest of these bats, which we ended up uh, buying. Yeah. After we, I walked away yeah, from them. We sold them as a lot. We but, did. Yeah. And we made decent money on it. So, <laughs> but it was fun. That's so funny. So I'm curious what I know you've talked, to, like, talked about several really big flips that you've made. Do you have like anything that sticks in your mind as being like just chef's kiss, the best decision you've ever made in your flipping business in terms of like items you've bought and sold? Yeah, I would probably say two that the really bus stick wash out. The is really yes. a big one. So we bought that bus wash that I told you with the arcade. We paid $500 for that bus wash. Um, we sold that for $14,500. Um, so that was an amazing flip uh, with a lot of high profit on that. Um, and, yeah. it was a, and it was a, probably one of the biggest pallets you've ever done too, which was, it's kind of like rewarding to know like, oh, look at that. Yeah, you- we actually did ship that. So that was <laughs> went on a pallet that was like 12 foot long seven foot wide, six foot tall. So it was huge pallet that I had to build and put into it so I could ship that. Uh, that and he always thinks, so I'll get this done this afternoon. And like, it takes him an extra day or two. Yeah, it takes, <laughs> takes me a little bit of time. So our highest profit that we've ever sold is actually a parking lot security tower. Um, we invested a lot more money into yeah, it. I don't like 
putting that much into it, but. But I did my rule of thumb on this and I did the research before we bought it. And this unit was $125,000 unit. So a parking lot security tower, um, $125,000, something like that was retail on it. Uh, we got it for $5,000. I paid $5,000 for it at a local auction. Uh, we ended up selling it in 30 days for $25,000. So that was our highest flip. Um, and it was huge profits. We absolutely loved that but one. But it scared me. I don't like those big investments. I like investing $50, $100, $5,000 was a lot. But yeah. I had confidence that he would do it. So I had to have confidence in him. And he sold it within a month. So yep. I'm so curious where uh, – are you finding all of the buyers for these on eBay? Or like who buys a bus wash or a se- parking lot security tower? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. We're not looking for the buyers. No, it goes back to the amount of people that go to eBay uh, because of their pool of people that are, um, the, the, their registered users are on there. It's just a bigger pool of people. You have a lot better odds selling unique items on eBay because people go there and they look for it. But the other thing is they, go- show, they show up on Google, Google too. Anytime, so if somebody's looking for yeah. like a security tower for whatever purpose, like it would show up on Google. Like we're probably the only one on eBay and it's going to show up on the top of Google. So yeah. That's so funny. Just these like items. I don't even know what a bus wash is. <laughs> items that I don't even know what they are. And you're like flipping them for so much. One singular uh, like wash, a car wash is just, but yeah. it, it walks around the bus. So it like it's powered. Oh. If you think about the old type of, yeah, the old types of car washes that have those foam br- uh, bristles that spin around. So that's what it does. But this is yeah. actually a mobile one. Stands like 10 or 12 foot high. It's electric. So it has a little like a, a little handle on it. And you just walk it around the bus and wash the bus um, all the way around. It washes the sides. And yeah, it's they're pretty cool. But the retail on that was, I think, $25,000, $25, And the guy got a really good deal at, at fourteen five. Do you guys intentionally go for deals like that you think nobody else wants to buy? I think that's kind of one of our, our tactics because a lot of people in the local markets – they They're can't move get, yeah. these items because it's in the local market. Um, and it's a larger item that a lot of people won't ship. So that kind of is our niche is the larger items that people will not ship or they can't move them in the local markets. Those are what we can hone in and get on a really good deal. One thing that I'll tell you, this is like, if you take anything away from this whole interview is your money's made in your buy. You have to get that item absolutely as cheap as you possibly can. So on the back end, when you are selling it, your money is made because you you have a low, low um, entry into it. So that's one thing. Your money is always made in your buy. Yeah, that's a great tip. That's Yeah, I've heard people say the same thing about real estate investing or like, you know, flipping as well, like get the best deal you can up front. Cause that's how, you know, you're going to actually make money in the end, which makes sense. Um, so last question before we move into our rapid fire, because I'm so curious, you guys have talked about like the, um, some of the best deals that you guys have had. What would you say? Is there anything that just like, when you think back on it, makes you cringe because you lost money or just whatever didn't go right. Do you have any deals like that in mind? I The one was a wash that, that one uh, that we talked about the, um, the pinball arcade. machine. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know if I can think of anyone that really, but the, I probably say one of the things that would be the most frustrating that you have to deal with sometimes is if somebody like tries to do, we don't really get that many returns, but if they try to 
change an item and try to do an item not as described. It doesn't happen that often with our items because I think we have a higher, I don't know, caliber of buyer because they're spending so much money, but it does happen every once in a while. And you do have to get on the phone with eBay and get on like, and do that whole process, which isn't fun. Um, But it's like, one out of i don't know a lot that, well, that happened just out of last year i think what do we have two refund requests or three three and you won two of them because the other one was completely your fault so <laughs> last so. year we've only had three refund requests but those yeah the two we did not have to give refunds on because of how we set up our business how we do everything uh we don't take returns and that kind of stuff we advertise um we always and the guy had altered something or he signed for it because you have to sign for your items if they're over 750 dollars. Yep. and he tried to go to his credit card and claim that he didn't get the item and we're like uh you signed for it so <laughs> there you go yeah so but it's just like logistics of back and forth so yeah i think that's the one that sticks out in our head it was a um escalator cleaner is what we sold we sold it for 1200 um made great money on it i think i only had to pay like 25 dollars for that right yeah three of them three of yeah. them in one lot so i didn't pay that much for that it was an amazing flip but dealing with the guy that bought it i think he was a um a dealer he got it took the whole thing apart and then tried to send back um a a broken one that he wanted to get the money back for um we ended up winning it because ebay saw that he took it apart he sent me all kinds of pictures taking it apart doing stuff to it um ended up we won the case so it didn't really but just logistics wise it was it was a headache to have to go back and forth with this and and deal with ebay and deal with the return and all that kind of stuff so um yeah it's not all um, rainbows and cupcakes <laughs> in this business. You do have little things like that, but thank goodness we only had out of our whole year last year, three of these we dealt with. Um, and two, and, and two of them, the two large ones we won, the one that we didn't win was my own fault. And it was like $125 for a small scale that we sold um, that we just, we ended up giving the guy the refund. He sent it back to us. I resold it, uh, listed it the proper way, resold it and didn't lose any money at all on it. So, um, but yeah, I think that's, that's probably the biggest thing that we think of cringe wise is having to deal with something like that when a, a seller um, is dishonest or has issues, but it doesn't happen all the time. We don't deal with it very much at all. And everything is different too. And that's one thing that we do try to tell people that when they're in this business, you're going to have people that do a return request or gets damaged in shipping. And like, that's probably a little more common than a return request yeah. in our business model. But um, like everything you can figure out, like every, like each one, you just have to be a problem solver and try to figure out what happened, how you can best come up with a solution for you and the buyer and um and yeah you can usually figure everything out so you said the way you set your business up makes things easier when you have you know situations like this do you have any tips for like how people who are flipping just getting started maybe selling items on ebay um how they can make sure they have their bases covered in situations where they might have like you know a bad buyer who tries to scam them out of, you know, whatever, just, I think some people are nervous that that's going to be the case, you know, when you start selling online is that they're going to get taken advantage of. So do you guys have any tips on like how you can avoid that and just have your bases covered? Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll sum it up in one line. This is one thing (laughs) that I tell everybody when you're starting off under promise over deliver. So we physically are, we physically try to turn people off from the items that we're selling. So I'm taking every single that item that I'm selling, if there's a scratch on it, if there's a dent on it, um, I'm taking close-up pictures of that and showing people that 
in my eBay listing. And I'm also telling people if I don't have any pictures in there of that, and there might not even be any scratches, dents or scuffs on it. I still will put that in my listing that this is a used item. Please have proper expectations. It is used. It's not brand new. Um, Don't yeah. I'm setting the expectations. And then a lot of times when people receive my items, they're like, Oh, they give me great feedback and say, this is in way better condition than I assumed. So you always want to under promise, over deliver, that's how you're going to set yourself up for a good business. Now, back in the beginning, I used words like mint condition. When I first started selling on eBay, mint condition, amazing condition, awesome. I mean, it's stuff like that that Try set up sell your item. It set up bad expectations when the people got it, and it was not what they had expected. So, under promise, over deliver, you'll be okay. That's that's the biggest underlining thing yeah. that I think. And a lot of people like you'll if like looking at a lot of resellers, they do recommend taking refunds and. It'll, Sometimes you have to if you have a very competitive item because eBay shows your items more. If you accept refunds, you have a 30-day refund policy. Um, for our business, it doesn't really make sense to have that. Um, so we don't have a re- we have no refund policy. But sometimes things get damaged in shipping, and so then it's just a shipping claim. The buyer gets their money, we get our money. We just have to go through the shipping claim process. So that's probably the most common thing that happens in our business. And Damn just knowing shipping. that is something like if a um, somebody writes in on eBay and says, you know, this item is damaged. I want a refund. Well, it's not really a refund. It's a shipping claim. So that's where you just kind of step back, evaluate the situation. And then you're just nice to the buyer and say, okay, I'm so sorry. I got damaged in shipping. Can you send me pictures? And then um, of the item, and then you just start the shipping claim. And then, I mean, it sucks that the buyer doesn't get their item, but they still get their money back and you get, you're covered, you get your money back. So um, it's just making sure you evaluate the whole situation before you just uh, all of a sudden send them a refund and get, you know, frazzled. So, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's great advice. And I also see, I think I've also done before because I've flipped a few items, nothing like huge or anything, but but you want to sell your item, you know, up front. And so I think a lot of people make that mistake that you were mentioning earlier, Rob, about just really trying to sell it in mint condition. And um, I feel like that's just such good advice to not do that under promise and over deliver. Are there other like really prominent mistakes that uh, you see people make all the time as coaches in this now um, that anybody who wants to get into this listening could avoid. I think the biggest one is overpaying for items. Yeah, I, that's a big one. People get into this. You have to know what your time's worth. If you're buying an item for $10 and you're selling it for 15 or 20, you just spent a lot of time cleaning an item, picturing an item, listing an item, uh, shipping, fulfillment, you spend a lot of time to make very little profit. So you really have to know what your time is worth. Uh, don't don't get into the whole thing of, even if you're doing a hundred of those items, you think of all those things that I just said and you got to multiply it by a hundred because you're doing it that many times on an item. Um, just know what you're, what you're doing. Be willing to walk away from an item if you can't make the profit that you need to to make what you're worth an hour. So I think that is a really... Uh, something that people don't really think about. Uh, They'll buy something for $5, sell it for $10. And it's like, great, you made a little bit of money, but after it's all said and done in your time and fees and shipping, did you really make any money? Are you just, you know, busy work? Um, That's the biggest thing is just really realize, hey, this is what I need to be making. And then don't, don't feel bad walking away from deals that you're not making $25, $35 on the flip uh, just because you are worth a lot more than you're, yeah. But there is a time in the beginning that there, that that is important to sell those items while you're building building your feedback because like obviously we'd like the higher dollar items, but somebody's not going to go buy 
a thousand dollar cooktop from somebody with zero feedback. So like those smaller items do have a play, like when you're first starting out. So and this is out, referring to eBay. So yeah. when you're de- dealing with eBay, that's what she's talking about. You, you really have, have to have that good feedback. So building up to it, like 50 to hundred feedback, and then you can add those higher value items in and then people trust you. They know you're not there to scam anybody. You, you have a business. So um, those items do have a play, but in the more in the beginning, I yeah. would say. Yeah, you guys have given so many great tips for people who maybe want to get started in this as a side hustle or business today. I'm going to read back some of them um, and then would love to know if there's anything else that you guys would recommend for beginners. So you guys have said, find something on a smaller market, list it on a bigger one. Just go like local places and then list on like eBay or something. Um, Look to get I guess you look to get 50% retail value on your items, right? Would you say, I guess that's a general rule of thumb? Yeah. Yeah. If you can adhere to that, absolutely. That's a, that's a great, uh, great benchmark. Okay. And then you said, uh, look for stuff in the beginning that you enjoy and, or know a lot about, which makes sense. Um, if the deal isn't there, walk away, don't get emotionally attached your money is made in your buy, so make sure you're getting a good deal up front. And then when you go to list, under promise and over deliver, take close up pictures of every flaw, make sure people know that it's a used item. Um, yeah, and then start with smaller items and build up your feedback, kind of get the hang of it before you move on to much larger deals. I think all that makes sense. Do you have any other tips, anything that comes to mind for anybody who's just getting started? I can't, Take I can't your course. I can't really think of any other ones. You, I mean, you really hit them all on. Those are the, the biggest mistakes that people make. You just went down the line of that stuff. If you adhere to that and really try to follow those, um, you're going to be successful in this business. It just takes a little bit of time uh, to build that, uh, build that business blueprint up. And then, yeah, the sky's the limit on what you want to do. If you want to scale and go bigger, you're, you have the right foundation. Can you tell us before we get off here, I said one more question before rapid fire so long ago, and I know I completely lied. Um, can you tell us before we get off here, before we move to rapid fire questions, um, would you mind to just talk a little bit about your course and your coaching, how it works, what people could expect if they, you know, want to go check it out? Yeah, I think that's one thing when you say oh, over um, or under promise and over deliver, that's what we want to do with all of our stuff too, even with our course and everything. And I think um, like we started this six, seven years ago, yeah. started teaching um, people how to do it. One of our friends actually said, you should teach people. You love this and you're really good at it. So we started that seven years ago. And um, I, I don't know, I think one of the most awesome parts of the whole thing is our community, our group. We have a really cool um community of people that are so helpful and like if somebody has a question and that like yeah I don't know why would you add to that the the community no. is very there's a lot of different communities out there reselling communities and um, and there can be some drama and people don't want to share what they're doing and winning and like what they're selling but everybody like our people I don't know you're all over the country like I just sold this and then people they look for it in their area and like it's not competition everybody is helping each other and yeah. it's just such a fun place to be the cool thing is pe- people that are at all different levels of flipping yeah. so we have over a thousand people in our private community uh, who have gone through flipper university um, that are at different levels so when you have a question 
to get a, a legit, a quick, a good answer, you post it in the group and then you're going to have 10, 15 people give you some solutions that they might have dealt with the same problem or they might be going through the same thing and they're they're helping you walk through it. It's really, really cool. So the community is really amazing um, and, that, that is attached with Flipper University. And like we said before, we've kind of have gravitated a little more towards appliances because we know that those make the most money. And like we have a lot of people in our group that are doing appliances too. And one of the guys like, if you need a part, he's got all the parts. So he'll, he helps our people with the parts that they need to their stuff. So like, it just has made this whole, I don't know, it's really cool. It and, and say, okay, I just sold this for a thousand dollars because Adam gave me the, or uh, sold me the part that I needed. And it's just like, I don't know. It's just a really cool thing to see all that happen. Yeah. So. so to go back to your question, we do have something <laughs> called Flipper University uh, that we actually walk people through this whole process uh, uh, kind of from start to finish. You guys can start out with not knowing anything about flipping. Uh, we get you in, we teach you how to build your eBay. Um, you set up your accounts and do all that kind of stuff and then go to the next level. I mean, and you can all go all the way up to start flip, flipping high profit items. Um, and that's really where we're at. Um, like Melissa said, we'll do this the rest of our lives. I absolutely love, love flipping items. Um, we don't flip tons and tons of items, but I want to stay relevant for our community. So I'm doing really the top, the highest dollar items that I possibly can. So I can keep people up to date with what's going on with the sale. If there's problems throughout the sale, I want to be able to tell our people exactly the issues that I had to help navigate them through the same issues or get them to fix the issues before they get into the same problem that I had. Um, so yeah, it's a real cool community. And you just love it. You'll never it is. stop. No, I absolutely love what, <laughs> I love what I do. I'm very passionate. If you can't hear it in my voice, I love, love flipping. Yeah, Melissa said before you guys came on, she was like, yeah, let's talk about some deals. That really gets Rob worked up. He loves talking about deals. Um, and yeah, you can tell that you love it. You can tell that you're very, very excited, very passionate about it. So I love that. Um, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing a little bit about your your course and coaching. Um, would love to get some rapid fire questions in here, finally, as promised, um, before we head out. So are you guys good, good to answer some rapid fire questions? Awesome. Let's do it. Okay. So first question is, what is one of the best or most worthwhile investments that you've ever made in your business? I want to say to this one that I don't know if I can think of just one, but we are constantly always investing in coaches. So we have pretty much since we started seven years ago, I mean, even we did that with Caitlin. Like we started every year. We've always invested in coaches at trying to get us to the next step that we want to be at. And, and I, currently right now yeah. we're in a coaching program and we have a coach yeah. um, besides the coaching program. Yeah. So we're always investing. We're, in we, yeah. we don't just sell coaching ourselves. <laughs> we're very huge advocates of always learning and growing because if you want to get good at what you're doing, you're constantly doing that. Like Melissa said, last seven years, uh, we've had tons and tons of coaches who have helped us go to the next level in yeah, all aspects of our business. every year we go and see, okay, we, this is what we want to accomplish. Who in is in this space that we need to go and that we can learn from? So, um, so yeah. And I think that that, I don't know, I think it's always great to be learning because that just you're always improving and you can, we can only serve our community better if we know how to do that better. So. Yeah. Yeah. 100% agree. You don't have to sell me on courses and coaching. I'm like, you know, huge advocate spent so much yeah. <laughs> over the years. Um, and I love it. I also like, I don't know about you guys, but I very much like need the accountability sometimes as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Um, 
maybe you guys, I don't know, maybe you guys use each other for accountability, but like, I need, I need somebody there to tell me, like, make, make sure that I'm staying honest to doing what I want to do and what I say I want to do. So, um, true for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. So second question is when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, what do you do to get back on track? I would say the first thing that helps us every day, like I mentioned earlier, that we start the day with a podcast and a run um, pretty much every day. And I think that helps us get focused for the day, even no matter what happened the day before, like if it was crazy. Um, I'm the one that tends to get overwhelmed. He kind of is more laid back. And and like you said about the accountability, we, we are accountable to each other. And I think we balance each other out a lot. So I think that that helps. Yeah. Because I'll go into a state of overwhelm pretty quick, and he's like, "What's going on? <laughs> Come on!" <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think that that helps a lot. So I agree. If focusing our and that really helps us kick off the day. We spend roughly an hour, hour and a half with each other, uh, listening to an amazing podcast, getting great ideas. That goes back to investing into ourselves with other coaches. But podcasts, I mean, are amazing to be able to listen to other people and then implement it into your business. Um, we do that while we're getting exercise, while we're trying to. Um, invest in our marriage, uh, invest in, um, our business and healthy. We're, we're trying to stay healthy. So yeah, we can keep up with our young kids that are crazy. <laughs> yeah. How old are your kids now? Now they're 10, 10, eight and six. Yeah. It's crazy. Get 10, eight and six. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, I love that you have that morning routine, that ritual that you do together. I do the same thing. If I have a day where like I skip my regular gym routine, it is all downhill. It's not a normal day. I might as well just like sleep through the day and go to the next day. <laughs> yeah. It sets the tone for the day. And yeah, you can really like, even just on the way, our way back from our run, we're like, okay, so what is the, what is the main thing we need to accomplish today? Focus. focus. Cause you do need focus for the flipping part too. Like I, I got to get stuff listed. So like we got, yeah. So it, it helps us both. Um, well, last question I have, and I will let you guys go, is about failure. So how has a failure or an apparent failure set you up for success later in your business? Um, I was thinking about this one, and I think that um, our big, the biggest failure I can think of in our business was we quit six months into starting our flea market flipper, our brand. Like We mm -hmm. created the course. We did all the things and nobody showed up and we're like, we quit. This doesn't work. Like we can't help anybody. So we quit for another about six months. And then all of a sudden, both of us were like, we probably should revisit that and see, you know, like if that can, we can work on our blog and work on all the things. And, and we both had that idea at the same time. And so I think having that, and I think the reason why we quit too is because we had a really good friend who um, created a course made a million dollars in 13 months. And then we're like, okay, well, it doesn't work. <laughs> so we were like, okay, we're a failure. You know, we're a failure because we didn't go that model. Yeah. But that wasn't our course. Like that wasn't what we were supposed to do. And I think that has set us up to know, like to, for all the work we've done over the last seven years, like it's a lot, but it, it you just, in, 
you enjoy the rewards, I think, better than if it was so fast. Like it's been a slow growth. And I think that that's okay. I think we're better off for it than yeah. uh, than fast growth. I mean, I would like fast growth, but <laughs> yeah. And I, I also think about failure. You have to be willing to learn. Failure sets you up to learn. Yeah. Everything that I teach in Flipper University that Melissa and I do, <laughs> was a failure. it's everything has been failures that I have done. And I'm trying to help people cut that failure out of your journey. Um, so but you have to be willing to learn. If you screw something up, if you make a, you know, you you lost money on shipping, you did this. Well, how can I learn from this? So my next one, I don't do the same exact thing. So those failures are the learning process. And you think about even other portions of your life. When you're in low or bad spots, what can you learn from those low, low or bad spots? What can you take from that to keep you out of those for the next, you know, the next go around when something like that happens? So the most people learn the most through failures. Um, and that's the same thing with us. We've done it. Uh, we try to help other people, you know, cut that failure um, ratio in half. But <laughs> at the same time, that's when you really, really yes. learn a lot is when you're, 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 you're making failures, but you keep going. You don't stop. Yeah, don't like we stop, did yeah. originally, we yeah, stopped, we <laughs> but you have to stay the course, stay the track, keep going and really try and take some, some good nuggets away from what you did wrong and how you can fix it on the next go around. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And I've done the same thing. You know, I've quit so many projects or so many like would be businesses that don't exist today, probably too early. And I look back and I think the same thing like, oh, you know, those people who make a million dollars in 13 months are the exception, not me. It is it is slow growth and that's okay. It's okay to have slow growth also. So very cool. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast and for sharing your story and for all of the amazing tips that you gave to our audience today. Um, one more time, just to close us out, we tell people if they want to get into your community, if they want to learn more about your business, um, where can they find you? Uh, fleamarketflipper.com is the best place to find us. It's where all the things are. So <laughs> it's kind of our hub. Perfect. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here and for listening to the Dollar Spout podcast today. Be sure to check out the show notes for any links and resources that were mentioned in today's conversation. And if you enjoyed this episode, then don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Thanks again for being here and for being part of the Dollar Spout community. And I will see you in the next episode. Bye.